Church, we have to agree on something that the way we connect to each other now, the way we build relationships, the way we start relationships now, today, it's, it's really different than it was just even a few decades ago. For example, like when I was in junior high, like if I wanted to go with a girl, remember those days, I want to go with you, like we, I'd either ask the girl to go with me or more, li- more than likely I would ask a friend to ask the girl to go with me, but I don't, I don't know how it works anymore. Like, I, I like to harass my son, Jake. He's 16, and he'll, he walks home from school with sometimes different groups of people, but sometimes it's, it's kind of always the same people. But a lot of times they don't really even, I don't know how they even communicate. And I asked him one day, I said, Jake, you kind of walk together with the same people. And I said, like, there's that one girl. And I said, what's her name? And he's like, I don't know her name. I said, I said you, should, you should talk to her. You should introduce yourself to her. And he says, oh, I wouldn't know what to say. And I said, Jake, just say, just walk up and say, hey, my name is Jake, and I've been, you know, I've been watching you walk home from school. And then I thought, you know what, don't say that, Jake, because that could get you arrested. But, 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 and then I said, I could introduce you to, he's like, no, dad, no, you stay in the house, stay away. But it's like, when I was a kid, you just talked to somebody. That's what you did. There was no snapping, there was no texting, there was no messaging, it was just voice to voice. Today, I mean, today, think about it. If someone calls us on our cell phone, we're like, who in the heck is this psychopath? Oh, hey, mom, how you doing? So, so moms, moms don't care. They're going to call. But it's so different the way that we connect today than we did just a few years ago. And, uh, for example, think about it for a second. If you want to shop at your favorite restaurant, or shop at, shop at your favorite, that'd be weird. If you want to shop at your favorite store, you don't have to leave your favorite chair, Right? You don't have to go anywhere. If you want to go out to eat at your favorite restaurant, you don't even have to go out. So it's just things, are, things have changed. To see your friends, you, see your, you don't have to see your friends as much in person because you see them all the time on social media. At neighbors, as for our neighbors, that's a whole other topic. I was challenged not that long ago in a conference that I was at, and the guy said, do you know your neighbor's names? And he said, your, your, your physical neighbors, not just on your left and your right, but across the street or kitty corner, do you know their names? And I was like, gosh, I don't know if I know all their names, but we kind of categorize our neighbors like, oh, they're the, they're the nice ones, right? Oh, they're the, they're the quiet ones. They're the loud ones. Had to call the cops on them a couple times, right? They're the weird ones, okay, because everybody's got them, right? You, right? And if you, don't, if you don't know who your weird neighbor is, that means you're the weird neighbor. So anyway, that's all that means. <laughs> and your neighbor's motto is to you. It's like what they say when they see you is, like a good neighbor, stay over there, right? That's what they want. So how we connect, it's changed. How we interact, it's changed. And I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. The Surgeon General, and I'll quote, recently said, went on record saying that the problem, actually they said the number one biggest threat facing America today is loneliness. It's that we're, we, are, we are surrounded by tons of people, we're surrounded by tons of resources to connect to people, but we've never been more alone than we've ever been, ever. That is insane to even say that with what we have at our fingertips to connect with others. So I did something fun this week. I, uh, have you ever heard of chat, GPT or whatever? Anybody heard of that? Yeah, technology, right? Taking over the world. You can plug in anything in this, in this little platform and it'll shoot back answers or whatever, you know, from, from the web or wherever it gathers information. So I just went into chat, GPT, and I said, what are the effects of loneliness? 
And in 1.2 seconds, it had the top 10 effects. And I, I don't know if these are the top 10, but after reading them, they certainly could be. I'll, I'll run through them quickly. This is from ChatGPT. The, the top 10 things that loneliness does to us. Mental health issues. Yeah, good. We have them up there too. Mental health issues, depression, anxiety, stress, all come from being lonely. Physical health issues, cardiovascular diseases, weakened immune systems, increased inflammation. Loneliness can cause all of that. Number three, we see reduced life satisfaction. Cognitive decline. Studies show that, that being lonely has led to be, having uh, a greater risk of Alzheimer's disease, if you can believe that. So reduced social skills. Um, number seven's a big one for me, substance abuse. And then I, I correlate this with a quote from uh, Bill Wilson. He is the co-founder of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he was quoted saying this when it comes to addiction. He said, without, almost without exception, alcoholics are tortured by loneliness. You could, you could rephrase that and say, anybody that really struggles with addiction is tortured by loneliness. We can round out the top 10. Number eight, increased stress. Number nine, a negative self-perception, right? A, a negative self-worth. Number 10, reduced life expectancy. In other words, loneliness is literally killing us. Killing you, killing me. That's how big this issue is. That's how big loneliness is. But I would contend God is bigger. And today, I'm not only, not only going to speak to it, I'm going to show you in God's word that loneliness was never God's plan for your life. And I'll say it, whether you're watching online or you're in the room today, if you are in a battle with loneliness, in a battle, maybe you're in isolation, because make no mistake, you can be in a room full of people, Dave, and still be the most lonely person in the world. You can. It happens all the time. And if that's you, I came to tell you there's hope. And you see this hope come out straight out in the Word of God, the very first chapter of the very first book. In Genesis 1, God is speaking the world into existence. Like our God speaks and things appear. That's how big he is. Listen to what he says in Genesis 1, I think this is verse yeah, 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now, we got to pause just for a second and, 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 and kind of just ask ourselves, God, what are you saying here? Because uh, unless there's somebody else hanging out with you, you're God, but you keep saying things in plural, like our image and like us and, and, and things like this. Well, the reason God's saying that is because God's always been in community. God has never been lonely. He's never been alone. Because there is one God, but three persons in one God. This is a whole other topic, so, but I'm just going to touch on it because it's important for theology and just for, for you to know who God is. But there's God the Father, right? There's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And they've all existed forever. So you can say that God has always had his very own life group. The longest reigning life group is God's. Can you imagine being in God's life group? Hey, God, what are we going to study? And God thought, you know, I thought we'd study me. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, God. Actually, that's a good topic. So, but God has always, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, have always been. So anyway, let's continue. And, and human beings, to be like us, they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. 
So God created humans in his own image. In the image of God himself, he created you. He created them, male and female. He created them. It's crazy. If, if today or this week, I'd love for you to read the entire chapter of Genesis 1. What you would see is at least four times God speaks to creation and it creates, it exists. And he says, and God saw it and it was good. At least four times God says, and that's good. And that's good. And then in the very next chapter, in Genesis 2, we hear for the first time that something in creation, God says, isn't good. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're, you're thinking the same thing I was thinking. Cats, right? He, it was cat, he regretted cats. Yeah, that wasn't it, surprisingly. So, but God, God, here's what he said, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, this isn't good. It is not good for man, for Adam in this case, to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. God's already creating an answer to Adam's loneliness in the garden. I mean, this is a perfect place, but God says it, something, is, something is amiss. Already God knew what the Surgeon General said. He said, this, we got to fix this really quick. And he creates Eve from Adam. And it's amazing. So I put down God's answer to loneliness was community. Actually, I could get more technical. God's answer to loneliness is the church. God's answer to loneliness is you. It's the church. See, the church isn't some building. It's not some steeple. It's not the walls. It's the people. It's you and it's me. We are the church. That's why one of our core values, I love this. We have seven of them. And one of them is family. Like, turn to your neighbor. Just say, we're family. We're family. Yes, your family's weird. Yes, your family's dysfunctional. I like to say that we put the fun in dysfunctional at Meadows Church. But yeah, family's messed up. Family's messy. The church is messy. And people will say, oh, the church let me down. Oh, this, that. It, that's going to happen because people are in it. And I always, say, I always tell people, if you're looking for the perfect church, well, as soon as you walk in, you're going to screw it up. Right? Because as soon as I walk in, I'm going to screw it up. Because we're not perfect. The church, check this out. In the New Testament, if it wasn't for the messes of the church, I'm not sure we'd have much of the New Testament. Almost every letter that's written is in response to a mess. It's in response to a conflict. Quit sleeping with your stepmom. That's a big deal. Quit getting drunk at communion. I mean, these things were happening. That, that, Paul has to speak into these things. It's crazy. Church, it's always been messy. But I tell you what, a messy church that is united in Christ is still something real special. It's something that is, yeah, it is, it is amazing. I wrote down, it's a beautiful thing. It's beautifully messy. That's Meadows Church for you. So I'm going to transition from Old Testament, which is Jesus existed in the Old Testament. We just learned that. Jesus has always been. He just, he just was, he, he was just in human skin in the New Testament. That was the difference, right? He came to earth, gave up divine rights and privileges, you know, and was sent as a baby in a manger. So that's, that's the Old Testament. We transition to the New Testament, and now we look at the first messy church in Acts, right? The, the first believers are gathered together like you and like me, and they're like, all right, what do we do? We're this church thing. What do we do? And this is what it says. It says in Acts 2.41, all who believed in the very first church message that was really preached by Peter, all of them believed, and they were baptized and added to the church that day. 
3,000 in all. And all the believers, say all, all of them devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? To the, to the word of God. That's why we preach it every week. That's a foundation of Meadows Church. To fellowship, to community, to relationships, to sharing in meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted. I'm telling you, being a follower of Jesus is more than just believing it's belonging. See, God doesn't just want you to know and love him. God wants you to know and love his family. That's what God wants. It's way bigger than some solo sport. Community is absolutely essential for you to live your God-given purpose. Real, I'm talking true relationships, not just acquaintances, but true, authentic relationships. And if anyone got it right, and a lot have got it wrong, including us, but the first church, if anyone got church right, it would have been them. Because they walk with Jesus, they talk with Jesus. So they're our model. And we look to them to see how are we to, how are we to be as a church. So just read Acts. That's what we're supposed to be. Acts 2, 44, I'll read it. Again, all the believers, there's something about being collectively together. And being united and being on the same page. All the believers met together. Say together. Yeah, in one place, they shared everything they had. They sold property and possessions, shared money with those in need. They worshiped together, say together, together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity. And if you keep reading, you'd see that the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. There's something about coming together under the umbrella of Jesus Christ and his church, and doing life with other people, other broken people, other messy people. And, and I bet you know people, or maybe you've been this person like I have, and maybe you've heard people say this, or you've said this. I really don't need the church, right? It's just me and God. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need some org organization or organism or, or church body or anything like that. I don't need the organized religion. It's just me and Jesus, and I said that same thing. It's, it's, it's one of the most unbiblical things you could ever say. But I said it for 15 plus years. Uh, that, that we just need him and us. L let me say something. If that was true, why would have God looked at him and Adam and said, you and me alone here, this ain't good. That's what he said. I mean, God himself is saying, something's missing here. Something, Adam, if it was just you and me. And, I mean, they're in a perfect place, in a perfect world. You would think if anything would be good, it'd be, okay, Adam and God are walking together. We're going to do this. We don't need anybody else. Adam, you're going to grow in me and me and you. And God says, that is not the plan. That is wrong. We need, we need people. We need, we need others. God himself recognizes this. That's so crazy. But I've said it. I wrote down, I've said, I don't need the church. I just need God. But according to God, that's not true. Your faith, your walk, with Christ as not a solo sport at all. Your walk with Christ is not just you and him. Despite what you might hear other people say, I'm telling you, it's just not true. Now, not, I should clarify. Your, your decision to surrender your life to Christ, that's personal. Like, that is between you 
in the Lord. Your, your, your faith isn't going to be based on your grandma or your grandpa or your mom or your dad or your, or your kids or your friends. Your faith is individual based on you and your relationship or lack thereof with Christ. That is individual. That is a private, that's a personal decision. But, but make no mistake, I wrote it down. Your faith is personal, but your faith is not private. It is not private. This is so, this is crazy, I know. So this is why like in our, in our small groups, like the purest form of the church, I believe is like a purpose group or a life group, just a small community of believers, whatever you want to call it. That's the purest form because when you get with a small group, you get to know each other, you get to share things, you get to hear from people. It's different than a large setting. Large settings are important, but they met in the temple and they met in homes, the word of God said. Both are, are critical for your purpose to be lived out. It's so key that we catch this. So they're meeting together, and it's, it wasn't a private affair. That's why in our groups we talk about how are you doing with whatever you're struggling with? How are you doing with loving others like Jesus? How are you doing with sharing your faith? How are you doing with inviting or using your gifts and your talents or, or even giving? People will say, oh, giving's a private thing. I beg to differ. Jesus called the woman out for giving. He, he watched her give two pennies, and then he was telling people about it. He's like, look what she gave. She gave two pennies. That's more than anybody else has given. And then he calls out the Pharisees. See what they gave? They gave a lot. It looks like a lot, but it's really not a lot because their heart isn't right. So your, 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 your faith is public. Your, your relationship is private to begin with, but it goes public. This is what baptism is all about, by the way. Baptism is a public declaration of a private decision that you made with Christ to sell out to him. See, you don't get baptized because you all of a sudden were good enough or you went to church enough or you memorized enough scripture and then you regurgitated it to somebody and they signed off and checked off and said, okay, you're good. Mm -mm. No, it's because you and Christ got together and you made a decision based on his grace and his love that you put your faith in him totally and you surrendered your life to him. And as soon as that happened, you were saved by God's grace through faith. But understand something. Salvation, it, that, that's a relationship with Jesus. Baptism, it's a declaration that tells everybody about it. And it's beautiful. In fact, we just, was it two, maybe two or three weeks ago, I can't remember, but it was amazing and beautiful. And it's hard to even articulate or even describe to you. So rather than me try to do that, I want you to check out the screen and watch this. changed my life by making me more happy overall. He's made me more optimistic for tomorrow. Jesus walked into my life and he gave me a whole new purpose. He taught me strength and forgiveness and patience that I myself cannot find. Baptism to me is a declaration of just trusting Jesus alone in my salvation. This is my way of showing that I accept him and I'm signing my life over to him and that everything is in his control now.
That is the church doing church together, celebrating each other. And what I want you to understand today, when it comes to loneliness, I believe the answer is the church. And when you think church, please don't just think the weekend service where we're at today. This is a huddle. We come together, we learn, we love, we encourage, we pray, we cry, we do things together here. But when you leave here is when church begins. When you leave here is when we go into the, the fields and we go into the battlefield of the, this life and we go and we be Jesus, our broken selves trying to be Jesus to somebody that is desperately needing Jesus, someone who's alone, someone who's hurting, someone who is suicidal, someone who is struggling with something that we can't even fathom, but they need him. For many people, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to meet. This is the church. We talk about Paul's letters in the New Testament. This is crazy. One time Paul said in the New Testament, he said, my Lord. 53 times he said, our Lord. Together. When the disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, you pray different than most people pray. Like your prayers seem so legit, so genuine. Teach us to pray like you pray, Jesus. And Jesus gathers them around, and he didn't take them aside individually. He gathered them together. And what he didn't say was, all right, you guys, start your prayer with this. Start by saying, your father. No, no, no. What Jesus said is, I need you to start this way. Say it this way. Our father. There's something about the togetherness. There's something about not being in it alone. Knowing that there are people that got your back. Jesus wanted them to know they were in this together. Not just to belong to him, but to belong to each other. I'm telling you, if you feel loneliness creep in today, this week, this month, this year, when you feel that prompt or that loneliness, I, 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 my prayer for you is that when you feel it and you're in your bed or you're crying in a chair, and you're by yourself, that the Holy Spirit will, will, will prompt you in that moment and say to you, you need community. You need people. And that you would reach out to somebody, another person, and know that you're not alone. Loneliness should not be an epidemic, but it is. The church will stand in the gap. And I want to say, to you, if you're part of Meadows Church and this is your family, you never have to live another day feeling loneliness. You never do. We are a text away. We are a phone call away. We want to do life with you. And that's what we do in our groups. God's answer to loneliness is the church. So I'll tell you something unique about our, our life groups are groups that you can get in and out anytime. They're ongoing. And uh, they're amazing. Trinity oversees them and she coaches and she's an amazing leader. And she called me one day and we were talking and she was talking about her group. And what I love about it is there was, there was people in her group that were struggling, going through um, something medical, right? Like going through, there was, there was sickness happening. And I love when she called me, here's what she didn't say. She didn't say, hey, I'm calling the pastor because you're the pastor, so we need you. They're in the hospital, so you need to go, and you need to go pray for them. And then if you can, as the pastor of the church, because this is what you're called to do, if you could arrange meals for them and arrange cleaning for them and just arrange for them to be taken care of, because that's the church. 
That isn't the church. I'm called to equip people to be the church. She knows that. So here's what she said to me. You need to know that so-and-so, this is what's going on with them, but we got it. We're visiting them. We're, we're arranging meals. I'm just letting you know. Meals are taken care of. By the way, we're arranging cleaning, so their cleaning is taken care of. See, this is the church. Every need in the local church can be met by the local church. I believe it with all my heart. When life groups, and they're doing this, they're owning their groups, and the leaders are like, I'm going to lead it. I'm the pastor, and I'm going to love you and equip others and do this. That's how the church scales and continually reaches more people for Christ. I just, it just warmed my heart to hear how this family is being loved by their little local body of believers doing life together to make sure that that couple isn't alone. It gets, I can give you a broader scale of what's happening. Rachel said it earlier. We're a, we're a church that was planted by another church, a church where I got saved 16 plus years ago. I believed in Jesus all my life. I just wasn't following him. Like, you can believe and still not be saved. I was proof. Like, I was living a life opposite of what he wanted. But that's a whole other story. So when, I, when God got a hold of me, we ended up, you know, getting called to plant a church. And uh, so we're connected. And now we plant churches. And it's amazing. So I get a call two weeks ago from the church that in Sioux Falls that plant, helped plant meadows in Omaha. And Pastor John was like, hey, Monty, I got to tell you, or, or actually, no, 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 he sent me a text. I got it Friday morning, and Friday's a very busy day. We're going through the message. We're doing all kinds of stuff, for the, getting ready for the weekend. And, and I get this message from John in Sioux Falls. He's like, hey, he goes, if you want to go on an, an adventure, give me a call. And I'm like, I'm always up for an adventure. So I call John, and he explains to me that a man named Thomas showed up randomly at the church on that Thursday wasn't connected to the church, wasn't connected to Sioux Falls, just going through town. And, and here's what Thomas said to him. I, I needed help. He's trying to get from the, the East Coast to the West Coast, and he had, uh, he's basically in his car, and that's all he had. So he said, I just thought, who else would I reach out to than a local church? Don't miss that. Something in Thomas prompted him to say, I am, I'm alone. I'm scared. I have needs. I don't know anybody, but what if I called the church that I've heard about and maybe read about? And he did it, and he got a hold of Celebrate Church and John. And John would fill his car with gas, and they would, they would make sure he was fed and had food for the trip to get him on his way to California so he could be with who he needed to be with their friends and family. But John knew that that wasn't going to get him all the way there, so John is handing the baton to Meadows. And he says, Monty, I told him that, that you, you, you or somebody with medals will meet him. John just assumed. John knows the church. And he says, if you would, you fill his car up and I'll pay you. I say, John, you ain't got to pay. And we're going to do more than fill his car up. And, and, and I got to be vulnerable with you. Understand something. This was happening so quick. He was going to be there. He was already in Omaha that morning, like Friday morning. So I didn't have a lot of time to really get a hold of people that were off work to go help him. So I knew, okay, this is something that I'm going to have to do. And Friday, I didn't have time to do it. It wasn't on my agenda. But a pastor told me one time when I was getting, I'll never forget it. He said, Monty, the moment your paperwork or your processes trump people is the moment that God probably won't send you any people. 
people matter more than anything. And maybe the message won't be home that weekend, and maybe it won't be quite how I want it. I, chances are it'll be how God wants it. That's way better than what I want. So Thomas is at Love's gas station waiting on somebody he's never met before. And Thomas can't read or write. John told me just he can't really communicate. I mean, you could call him, but he doesn't have an education. So I called him. I said, Thomas, I can be there at this time. Didn't, never met him again. And I said, I'm going to go there, and we're gonna, I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to set you up. He's like, all right. So I drive there to the gas station again. Didn't have time to do this. Did not have time to do any of this. But God will make time when you don't have your time. And I get to the gas station, and I meet him, and it was amazing. We, I, I, you know, anything can happen, but I just trust God's got this. So I said, Thomas, get in. We're going shopping. And him and I went to the local Walmart, and we spent a, uh, at least an hour there shopping for clothes, feeling whatever he wanted. It, it was so, if you would have been at like a third party at Walmart, I'm like, Thomas, that, I like that sweatshirt that brings out your eyes. People are like, what in the heck are these two doing? It's just so funny. But I wanted to give him, I, I could have got him some used stuff. I, don't, I didn't want to. See, I just think he deserves new. Nothing against giving people used, that, that's, there's, there's, but just in that moment, I, I wanted him to know, we're going shopping. Like, you matter. And we ate together, and I filled his, his uh, bags full of new clothes. And he put him in his car, and I set him up with, uh, filled his car with gas, bought him more food at the gas station. And then I prayed with him. Here's a picture of me and Thomas. I took this right before he took off. Yeah, give God praise. Thomas is still communicating with me. I said, Thomas, I know a pastor, his name's Brent, and he's in Denver. You're going to meet him next. And it was this relay all the way to California. And Brent took care of him, and John took care of him, Meadows took care of him. You're taking care of people. Oh, by the way, your giving is the reason we can do any of that. None of that is planned. You know, this, this five, six, seven hundred dollars what we spend on him for clothes and stuff. But we do those things because we can because you give. So he's taken care of. So then he gets to California and his text. I can't, honestly, I'm not judging. I don't even know what he's saying half the time. He's, he's texting me. I'm like, I just text back. I love you, man. That's so awesome. So I hope he's saying good things. But I don't know. He's just sending me a sunrise in California. Be praying for Thomas. He wants to be reunited with his son. God's working in his heart, in his life. Here's what I can tell you about him. He felt the love of the Lord through the church. And when there was nowhere else to turn, and when, the, when he didn't know where else to go, he said, I know, I'll just, I'm so grateful that he ended up at that church in Sioux Falls. I'm sure, every, I'm sure many churches would have done the same thing, but I'm so selfishly grateful because we got to be a part of it. That's the power of planting churches and being connected to networks and grew. It's just, and it was so inconvenient, but I wrote it down. We need to value community over comfort and convenience. We're not just called to believe and call it a Sunday morning. We're called to belong to each other and do life together. That's why I'm big on groups, huge on them. And if you're not in a group, I want to encourage you to do it. Maybe, maybe you could lead one if, you, if, if it's a certain time or day that just works for you. Maybe you drive from another city or another town and you start one there. And I don't care if it's you and one other person. We'll call it a life group and you'll meet with them and you'll love them and they'll love you. We can make it look however you, whatever works for you. 
Just God's word's got to be the center of it. That's all. Do we have the, the number? I, did I put it on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have questions about groups or you're interested, text groups to that number, 402-628-7166. Take a picture of it. Or you can use the, the life group cards on the back of your chairs, red cards, and you can fill those out. Listen to me. I'm not telling you this for something else to add to your plate. I'm telling you this because I want your life to change. I want you to experience all that God has for you. And understand, you play a huge role in somebody else's walk with Christ. I said this one time to my pastor, it's so embarrassing. When I first met Jesus, I said, because I, I would know the, the messages that are coming sometimes because I was serving on a team, so I'd know the topic. And if I wasn't serving that weekend, I, I, I remember this one week, I, I was tempted not to go. And my pastor sat me down and he said, so because you don't think the message pertained to you, you thought you could like skip it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he, he said, Monty, he lovingly said, it's not about you. What if God had somebody coming there that you were supposed to sit by. You were supposed to pray for when they cried during the message. You were supposed to love when they were hurting. You were supposed to wrap around when, when they needed somebody. You were supposed to welcome them when they walked through the doors or meet them when you were getting a donut. But because it wasn't, because it wasn't for you, now, now they're out of luck. It just, it just shifts my perspective. We're gonna have communion here in a few minutes. And I'll explain it to you as if you don't know anything about it. And if you don't, I'm glad you're here. But I'll close with the story about Christ. It's a good one. Lean into this. The reason I know that community and relationships are so big is because it's the reason Jesus came. That we would have communion and, and, and relationship with him, first and foremost, and then others. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord and love others. And it's not one or the other, it's both. Check this out. I've never seen this before. When Jesus was on the cross, this is going to blow you away. When Jesus was on the cross, he was still connecting people. As he's dying, the miserable, horrible, suffocating death. You know what's on his mind? Well, you're on his mind. And here's what he's doing. He's connecting and loving people. Right, Jesus takes care of the thief on the cross. Jesus is dying on the cross. The thief is a murderer that deserves to die. And Jesus takes the time to minister to him, to build, build a quick relationship with him. And then he says to him, you and me, we'll be together forever. I'll see you later today. We're, we're gonna die, we're dying. Not, not changing that, but that's temporary. You and, and they're together as I preach the word to you right now. Jesus takes care of the thief on the cross. Jesus takes care of his mom. On the cross, you're dying, Jesus. Yep, I know, but I gotta, I gotta make a connection. Uh, John, the only disciple that we know of that was at the crucifixion. John, behold your mother. Not his blood mother, but his mom now. And Jesus says, woman, which wasn't disrespectful, but he said, woman, behold your son. In other words, Jesus dying on the cross and he's connecting John to his mom. Why? Well, he doesn't want his mom to be alone. And he wants John to have communion with his mom. He doesn't want anybody to experience loneliness and despair. So he says, John, take care of my mom. Mom, 
give John all the wisdom and discipline like you gave me. You know what I'm saying? Give it to John. But I need to connect you to I'm going to be gone soon. And Jesus connects them. And last but not least, after, after caring for the thief and caring for his mom and caring for John, he cares for the masses. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And what is Jesus doing? He's trying to connect them to the Father. Whatever it takes, Jesus said, to reach them. I'll do it. But Jesus, they hate you. They put you on the cross. I love them. They don't know what they're doing. That's why he came. And that's why he came for you. He loves you. He is in love with you. I had a gentleman before the service ask me, he said, Monty, because of this event that happened, I feel like it may be out of the graces of God and that I've really screwed things up for the future. And I explained to him, God's mercies are made new daily. You call on his name. You ask him to forgive you like that. He'll do it. So why would you walk around with all this weight and all this loneliness and all this despair on your shoulders? Jesus wants to connect you to him and to others. Communion. If you've given your life to Christ, you, you believe by faith that he's the son of God, the savior of the world, that he died on a cross and rose from the dead. If you believe that and you've asked him to forgive you and come into you and make you new, that act of repentance and, and asking for forgiveness saves you. The Holy Spirit will enter into you and you're saved. It's a beautiful thing. Communion's for you because you're remembering, reflecting, and celebrating what Christ has done for you. If you're not saved, you don't need to partake in communion, but you can be saved in two seconds by doing what I just said. And maybe, that's, maybe you're not ready quite yet and you're just soaking in church for the first time in a long time. That's cool. You can just watch people and, and watch them worship through communion. But Jesus said, like the, like the church did, he said, we're going to do the Lord's uh, Supper together. So let me read, read you what it says. 1 Corinthians 11. I don't think it's on the screen. It's okay. Just listen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, remember, by, by Judas, the Lord Jesus took bread in that meal beforehand. He gave thanks to the Lord for it. I mean, Jesus is dying in hours. He's thanking God. He breaks the pieces of bread, and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they eat and they share the bread together. And then he says, after they ate, he says, in the same way he took a cup of wine after supper and he said, this is a cup of a new covenant. Not an old covenant, not, not, not the old one where there's old sacrifices and old things that we do, but, but it's a new, a new covenant between you and Jesus. Between, well, specifically God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, only Jesus' blood can make things white. Most blood will stain red. Do this in remembrance as often as you drink it. What is Jesus saying there? When you come and you take the bread, remember the sacrifice that was, like, you're dead. You're, hell is your home if it wasn't for Christ. Hell on earth and hell in eternity. That's your home. That's my home if it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus says, remember how much I love you. Remember what I did for you. And then he says, the cup. You're going to remember 
the blood that was spilled all over that cross on Calvary, that was for you. And I'd bleed it again today all over if it was just you. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come. As they come and they bring this up here, I'll explain how it'll work. We'll go front to back rows, all orderly like Meadows is. And we'll go, don't use the side aisles, just use the center aisle. And so the side aisles will walk all the way over to the center and then up. And the host team, they'll hold the bread and they'll hold the drink. Waste baskets there for the drink, for the cup. And I want, you to, I want you to do something. If you're accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you're recommitting your life to Christ, you've gotten off track, like me, you got addicted to things of the world, drugs, uh, sex, people, whatever it is, and you're ready just to repent and turn from that, you can do it now. And you can mark a card saying that you're making that decision, the green card. Or you can, you can text gospel to that same, or not gospel, excuse me, Jesus to that same number, that same text insurance number. Te- text Jesus. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. Like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. And not only that, share this message with a friend or somebody that you know. So many people out there need hope and encouragement, and you have the ability to bring that to them. Finally, if you're in the Omaha area, we would love to have you join us. We would love to meet you. God bless you.